something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Give me those shoes, they're mine. Give them back to me. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jockstrap? It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. What have you done to its eyes? I see no manhood between your legs. You're going to need death now. <laughs> the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Get away from her, you bitch! It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! The devil wins sometimes. What's that like to live deliciously? They're here. They're all gonna laugh at you! To a new world of gods and monsters. Welcome to Screaming Queens, the queer horror podcast. My name is Jonathan Larkin, and today I'm joined by special guest star, Steve Hughes. Hello, Steve. Hiya, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm trying to turn you into like the Heather Locklear, you know, in Melrose Place. Heather Locklear was the special guest star the whole time she was in it. I'm more so... than happy to be your Heather. <laughs> My queen, Heather of Locklear. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I thought I'd turn you into that for Screaming Queens. Um, yeah, good, all good. How are you? Yeah, fine, fine. Just, you know, same as... Everybody else, really. When's it's so it funny, is it? Yeah, it's like every conversation you have, you've got nothing new to tell anyone about anything because you're just sort of sitting watching the telly all the time. I know. I know. There's just what, what did you do yesterday? Well, the same as the same as I've done since March. Nothing. I know. I tell you what, I did yesterday. I watched five episodes of uh, Tales of the Unexpected back to back. Oh, that's that's a treat, though, isn't it? Oh yeah, it was fabulous. In preparation for today, so Steve Hughes is a soap writer like I am. Um, and he is really qualified to talk about horror in TV because some of his dialogue is truly horrific. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> so I, if you've a regular listener, you'll know that the last time we talked, it was to do with, we discussed Brian Clemens' 70s anthology series thriller. And we've always wanted to talk more about TV horror that's inspired us, haven't we, Steve? So um, it felt like today's topic was a natural way for us to go. So in today's episode, me and Steve are going to be discussing a anthology series from the, well, started in 1979, around for nine years. So mainly the 80s. So if you grew up in the 80s, you would have been scarred for life by some of these episodes. It was a series called Tales of the Unexpected. But it was your idea, Steve, so you introduce us, you tell us all about it. Right, um, okay, so the episode we're going to talk about is called The Flypaper, and uh, this was broadcast in 1980, and basically it's the story of a young girl, um, she's about 14, I'd say, called Sylvia, Yeah. and her parents died in a car crash, and she lives with her nan, who doesn't really care about her. But anyway, Sylvia is a bit obsessed with the local news because uh, another girl about her age has gone missing. And then near the start of the story, um, the young girl's body is found in the canal, which gives Sylvia a bit of a a shock. And what's even more shocking is that Sylvia becomes convinced she's been followed by a man. Um, She tries to tell her nan, but her nan's not really interested. And no one's really interested in her really. She's she has she doesn't really seem to have any friends. And she's got a piano piano teacher played by Stephanie Cole from Ten, <laughs> from Tenko. Um and she's not interested either. Anyway, so uh she thinks a man is following her and she's right. And he actually gets on the bus that she's on one day 
and we're really worried for Sylvia. But luckily, um, a woman steps in and tells the man she knows his source. And eventually, the woman takes Sylvia back to her caravan um, to ring the police. And I don't know whether we should give the end away, but all I'll say... Yeah, yeah, go on. All all I was going to say was, so the woman's sort of saved her. Um, They're going to ring the police and then something happens, which is got to be one of the bleakest endings to anything I've ever seen. So bleak, so bleak. So we'll keep it spoiler free for now, but uh, once we go through the episodes bit by bit, we'll probably spoil the ending for you. So be warned. If that's the case, if you haven't seen this episode, which it's it's very likely you haven't because I hadn't seen it up until like last year or the year before when Steve told me about it. Then if you want to watch it, it's actually on YouTube. So you could you could pause us, switch to YouTube, type in Tales of the Unexpected, the flypaper, and you could actually watch it. It's only on for 22 minutes. Um, and and, and I, I, I'd say do that if you haven't seen it and, and you love horror you should yeah. really, really watch this episode. Yeah, definitely. So tell us what you expected. So let's do a bit of background on that. So Roald Dahl, it was it was all born from him, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, so in, in between him writing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and uh, like the Witches and the BFG and all those things that we're familiar with, he published a, a collection to near of uh, short stories. They'd been, I think the short stories have been in various publications and then he... Um, he met the head of drama at Anglia at a Christmas party and basically just sort of said to him lightheartedly, would you like to make a TV series out of my short stories? And that led to a commission where they actually got to adapt some of those tales to pitch to ITV. That's kind of where it was it was born from. Um, so the first series, I think it's mainly the first series, Steve, where they're all adaptations of Roald Dahl stories. Yeah, I think, I think it might be the first two series or... Um... Maybe in the second series they started using other writers. We should just say yeah. that the flypaper isn't a Roald Dahl story. It was um, based on a story by Elizabeth Taylor. No, not um, Richard Burton's. <laughs> imagine wife. if we didn't. Imagine if we just went with it that it was actually Elizabeth Taylor. I sort of. <laughs> I, I wish it was. Really, I just think that would be yeah. utterly bizarre. But. <laughs> Just after she finished filming Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, she, <laughs> she sat down and penned a, a short tale of terror. That would be, that would be great. Um, and then, um, yes, yeah, so these, I think they changed the name as well, didn't they? Because I think it was called maybe Roald Dahl's Tales, Tales of the yeah. Unexpected. And then when they, they went all his stories, it became tale, Tales of the Unexpected. But yeah. in the first couple of series as well, they did a great thing where he'd introduced them a bit like Hitchcock. Um, yes. did on, on his um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, yeah. the, the old American show. And I, I think it's, I mean, I was about 12, 13 when it started, but I actually, he was sat in an armchair and he'd sort of tell you like a little cryptic tale um, story of what the episode was going to be about. But I really thought up until about three months ago, that was at his house. And of course it wasn't, <laughs> it was just like a set. In- oh, right. So I just assumed it was his house as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's the fire. It's just that roar of fire. You think, oh yeah, he sits there, and I think he has a blanket over his legs as well, which is a which yeah. is a nice touch. <laughs> it's a nice touch, and it's also very British, isn't it? It's that sort of combination of cozy and creepy yeah, that we yeah. love. Um, and he he introduces this tale by saying um, he, he describes it as neat and nice and spooky, and I think I think he's right. I think I think 
this sort of stands out for me against a lot of the other tales of the unexpected that I've seen because it's so bleak and horrible and dark. And and real, I think. Because I was talking to um, a person me and Jonathan worked with yesterday, Chris, um, who works on Hollyoaks with us, and he rem- he remembers it. But he said it was it's more sort of like a public information film that you'd watch in school to do with Stranger Danger. Totally. Because normally, with a lot of the tales of the unexpected, they're very roll dolls, as in they're a bit zany, a bit you know, they're a bit off, off, off kilter. They're, they're quite gothic. I think is the word I'm looking for. The gothic, the gothic, and they've got like a funny little glint in their eye as well, haven't they? They've got like a really dark sense of humour about them, whereas there is no, there's nothing funny in this episode whatsoever. No, n- nothing at all. Yeah. Um. So it it. Premiered in uh, March 1979, Tales of Dude Expected. Uh, it was on a Saturday night at 10pm and it regularly went up against Match of the Day and beat it in the ratings, which I think is wonderful. Yes. Um, but it did lose out one year to Eurovision. <laughs> which, you know, yeah, it was bound to. It was bound to. So the most iconic thing about Tales of Dude Expected is the opening music, I think, anyway. And... Um, I feel like whenever you mention Tales of the Unexpected to someone of a certain age who grew up with it, they always have to hum the music and do the dance for you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no matter how, no matter what what they look like now, everybody does that that, yeah. that silhouette of the woman dancing. I do. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, so when it opens, there's a silhouette of a lady dancing set against a like a roulette wheel and there's flames and, and stuff like that. And it's meant to set up like an eerie vibe. <laughs> So that famous theme music was composed by Ron Grainer, who gave us the Doctor Who theme, the Prisoner theme, not Prisoner, Sablocation, the Prisoner, Steptoe's Son. And uh, that dancing lady was was Karen Stanley, and uh, apparently she was a secretary who took one day off work to record the dance sequence in a white body stocking covered in white grease paint. Oh, God, I didn't know that. God, I hope she yeah. got paid well. Yeah, well, apparently she never, but she, I think she said in, the, in an interview that it was enough to buy herself a nice new outfit. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, the show sold to over 70 countries worldwide and it ran for nine years and 112 episodes. Um, and it attracted stars like John Mills, Elaine Stritch, Joan Collins, uh, Elaine Page. Yeah, um, Janet Leigh, um, Susan George, Judy Geeson. It, you know, the, I mean, some of them are, bit, are still big names now, but at the time that they were really, really big names. John Ge- yeah. Sir John Gielgud. Um, I yeah. he's definitely did one. He might have done two. Yeah, Derek Jacobi's in it as well. Telly Savalas. It's it it attracts so many people. Um, and some of the episodes I watched yesterday were, were hilarious. Um, before we jump into the flypaper, um, I watched a handful of stuff that I hadn't seen before. Um, and one of the standouts was Blue Marigold, starring Toya Wilcox. Yes. I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. Um, and it's Toya Wilcox who uh, plays like a it girl model from the 60s, but she's too common and gobby, so they keep dubbing her voice in adverts. <laughs> and then she like trashes. It's all about her obsession with how she looks and how people see her. 
and she's in love with a married man, isn't she, called Paul? And um, basically she she loses everything because she's so gobby and she doesn't fit in, her face doesn't fit. So she ends up, you know, losing her money, going on, becoming an alcoholic and then trying to kill herself. And there's like a really trashy moment where you see it at electric shock therapy. And then when she, she sort of lives with her sister Beryl and she... Um, She's sort of trying to get her life together and then she runs into the, the bitch who dubbed her voice, the posh woman who dubbed her voice, who's now, uh, having stolen her career, she's also now married to Paul, who's the guy who left her. But but the twist at the end of this, which I thought wasn't the strongest twist, but it was still quite cool, is that uh, Blue Marigold goes and like pawns loads of her sister's jewellery and stuff so she can buy herself the nicest makeup, the nicest clothes and look exactly like she did when her and Paul were together. But then when she turns up to meet Paul and the new wife, Paul turns to her and he's been in a car crash and he's blind. So so he can't actually see how beautiful she looks. It, um, it, it, it's sort of like, that's a bit like a Tales from the Crypt. I suppose, it, it, wouldn't yeah. be, it wouldn't be out of place there, would it, that... Yeah, no, that's true. And I also watched The Girl Can't Always Have Everything starring Joan and Pauline Collins, which must be one of your favourites. Do you know, it is, and I haven't seen that for so long. I can't really remember what happens. Is it, is, I know that there's a man involved and there's the, the, there's money. Are they, are they using somebody for money, the two of them? Yeah, so they play two uh, jobbing actresses who are doing, who are in a, a, a performance of The Importance of Being Earnest and they're, they're they play. Uh, they're called Susie Star and Pat Lexus, <laughs> and um, they're they, what names? And the guy who's at the you know the producer of the the theatre company puts them up to seduce um, a money man who can back the back their productions. But basically, this guy ends up falling for Joan Collins, who's Susie Star, and she ends up marrying him. She becomes really rich, and the whole time, Pat, who's played by Pauline Collins, is really jealous, and then. Basically, he, um, the guy catches Susie in flagrante with another man and he is going to leave her. So basically, Susie decides that she's going to fake her own suicide attempt. And she writes the suicide note out. She gets the pills and she says to Pat, you have to, t- you have to t- give him the note so he arrives before the pills can kill me. And then, obviously, the twist is, Yes, Pat has been jealous this whole time and she basically doesn't tell him and lets Susie die and then she ends up married to the rich man and, and she says a girl can't always have everything. Um, so that was really great. But the, the standout from all of them for me was, um, have you seen The Landlady? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That, that's it's, it's sort of a similar tone to the flypaper, really, isn't it? It's a similar tone. Um it's it's got more of a macabre comedy edge to it, I think. At the end, it, it does, but but it's also a very sad ending. Again, isn't it? It's you, I, I don't think it's the ones where you like a neck. You laugh at the end of neck. Which, I haven't seen oh, neck. Oh, you you need to. It's you, do you know about it? It's Joan Collins. Oh, she's in that as well. No, I haven't seen that one. So basically, neck is Joan Collins. Um, I think it's her husband buys this fancy piece of art that's installed. Um, in their huge, lavish garden. And for, I think she's getting photos took, but for some reason, it's like a sculpture. Joan puts her head through the sculpture <laughs> and then can't get it out. <laughs> and then John Gale goes in it as, like, a butler. And then um, I think between John Gale and the husbands, they come up with a very unusual way of... Right. 
getting the of solving the problem. You, wow, you, okay. I think you should watch that because and jo- Joan Collins is um, it's before it's before Dynasty, but she's very much playing an Alexis type. Yeah, well, I mean, she, Joan Collins basically plays a variation of Joan Collins and everything, doesn't she? And um, because uh, she, she does that in the the one with Pauline as well. Um, but I will say, I will recommend the Landlady to anyone who hasn't seen it. Get on YouTube and have a look at that one as well. And that's about a guy who goes to a goes to work in Bath and is looking for a place to stay for the night and he ends up at a really creepy guest house with a really creepy landlady who um I won't give it away but she likes to she's very fond of young men and likes once they're in her house she likes to make sure they never leave. And yeah she's got um I think yeah. I, re- I read online the way they described it she's got a very unusual hobby. Very unusual hobby and she's got a lot of similarities I think with Norman Bates. Yes. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I there's the other Joan Collins one as well, isn't there? Georgie Porgy. I love that one. I love that one. That's with John Alderton from Upstairs Downstairs. Because we were talking about him, so I've got a question yeah. for you. John Alderton, Alderton was in Upstairs Downstairs, utterly gorgeous, and Gareth Hunt was in yes. Upstairs Downstairs before he was in the New Avengers. Who would you who do you think's the, the hottest? Who would that rather shag? It would be uh, Gareth Hunt. Now, I thought long and hard about this, and I'd go for John. Why? I, I, you know, I don't know. I think there's just something about him. Now, Gareth Hunt, I also obviously wouldn't say no to, but yeah. I think John Alderson, I, I, I really I, I can't put it into words. There's just something so, I don't know, sensual, sexy about him. Do you agree? I, I think I could put it into words. I think Gareth Hunt is, is physically more conventionally attractive, but John Alderson... Has got a dirty look in his eye. Yeah, and I think it's because he was the character he played in Upstairs Downstairs. Thomas was a was a bit of a rogue, wasn't a he? Rogue, a rogue, naughty, a bit grubby. He's the kind of guy who would wipe his knob on the curtains afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the type of guy who would watch him do it and then never wash them. <laughs> I am never dipping those curtains again. <laughs> so yeah, so that gives you a bit of an overview of um, the types of stories that you get in tales of the unexpected. There's always a lot of dark comedy. There's sort of they're not. There's nothing really that's supernatural. So and the, the obviously the twenty two minutes. So the more concise than thriller, which we discussed last time. Um, but they're a very mixed bag, and they got quite. I think um, they were American co productions towards the end as well, weren't they? That's that's right, and I think that's why there's lots of lots of American stars in, in it, or maybe they were like sort of stars whose star was waning. But there's yeah. there's quite a few. Um, you can always, I think, you can always tell as well when it's an American one because most, I'd say, most of the British ones are done on videotape, whereas the American ones well, they're, on, they're on film. And I was going to say the different. I mean. But uh, in the earlier episodes, I think there was more film in the earlier episodes and then they went more video as it went along. And then once it got to the Americans, it became film again. But um, one of the things that sets what we're talking about today, apart from the others, is that that was shot on film. So that gives it more of a, like Chris was saying, it gives it more of that public information video feel to it. Yeah. Um, And when we talk about cosy British TV horror, a lot of those were shot on video and that adds to the coziness for me, whereas film adds grain and it makes it feel more remote and more bleak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with the with, with the ones on video as well, like Lamb to the Slaughter, which which I, I, I love that that had a 
that had a big effect on me. But well, I'd only ever, I'd only ever heard of that one because Ben always cites that one as the, the the twist being a stroke of genius, and it and it really is. But so I only watched after the first time yesterday, and I couldn't quite believe the acting, uh, the overacting from Brian Blessed and Susan George. <laughs> they're, they're both pretty big, aren't they? I mean, they just I, shout, I, yeah. yeah. I, I love, I love, I love Susan George, but Brian Blessed is just. He almost bursts through your TV screen or your computer yeah. screen, doesn't he? It's from, it's from the moment he comes in, he just shouts for half an hour. Be- before we go on to the flypaper, um, there's another one that's sort of like a cosy comedy horror a type. It's called Fat Chance with Miriam Margulies. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that one? No, no, no. I think you like that one. So basically, Miriam plays an overweight woman <laughs> whose husband is a chemist. Um, he's having an affair and he decides um he wants rid of miriam but uh so he can be with his with his mistress but things don't go as planned that that's that's uh, another one that's it's very very tongue-in-cheek okay and i another one i watched yesterday just quickly was uh, an episode called the skeleton key um which stars john Dutine, and it was basically recommended to me by my friend andrew who uh, shares my love for men from the 80s and little red briefs and he said to watch that because john Dutine is in little red briefs and um that certainly didn't disappoint but it's got a very very dark comedy twist to it um which which involves a key being hidden in someone's stomach oh okay but that one's not ringing a bell with me yeah it's a later i think it's series five um, but it was was quite good. So, do, do you know, I'll, I'll look that one up because when you talk about John Dutton, when I was about 12, 13, I had the biggest crush ever on him. And then as luck would have it, um, do you remember, you won't, I think you're too young, Play For Today? Well, I know of it, yeah. So Play For Today was on, I think it was on a Tuesday or a Thursday and it was um, on BBC One. They were, they, uh, uh, well, the, the clues in the title, they were, they were like one-off plays. But you could, you were always sort of guaranteed to see like an arse or something like that, oh. which, was, which was even if the even if the play was, you know, not my cup of tea. Anyway, so I think it was ninety. I think I was thirty. It was nineteen eighty. I caught one called Psych Warriors, and John Dutton is full frontal naked for about oh five God. minutes. Right. Well, Andrew, if you're listening to this, get on it. It, and you know, um, I have searched every like few months or so. I search for that on the internet to see if anyone's uploaded it, and they never have. But that's that's like me with that episode of Coronation Street with Kevin Webster in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you also love that the reason you watch something at the age of twelve is still the reason you watch it now at the age of seventy-four? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Do you know what? If I do. I wish I'd have known you when um, I, I was a storyliner on, on Coronation Street years ago. Um, I could have got you that episode on, on video. Do you know what the sad thing is? We found it. We just literally, by accident, found it on YouTube months ago. And then I forgot to save it in my history. Um, so, it, so it's on YouTube. It is on YouTube. And did it did it disappoint? or? No, fanta- absolutely fantastic. Almost as good as the episodes with Terry Duckworth and his blue briefs. Oh, I, I mean, I can't do it on here. I could tell you, I could tell you a story, a couple of stories about him. I've heard one of them about. Uh, yeah, I've heard one of them. <laughs> yeah, but we, we can't do it here because we'll end up in court. No, if you'd like to hear the story, sign up to my Patreon. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm already kidding. I'm already kidding. 
The Screaming Queen's Queer Horror Podcast is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, all at Horrified Mag. The hunt for Elaine Phillips, age 12, continues. Elaine has been missing from her home for five days now and police today issued another appeal for any information that might help in the search for the Northwood schoolgirl. Elaine Phillips, five feet tall, slender with short blonde hair, was wearing a school uniform of grey skirt, white blouse and maroon blazer when she was last seen by two of her classmates. Rotten piano. Rotten music. Rotten Beethoven. I hate it, I hate it. Really, Sylvia, you're even worse than last week. Didn't you practice at all? A bit. Rotten Miss Harrison. Never make any progress if you don't practice. It's a waste of time and money. I do believe I shall have to tell your grandmother that she's wasting her money. And my precious time. Oh, there's Louise. Now, she's not only dedicated, but gifted. So it opens with the police hunting for the missing 12-year-old school girl, Elaine Phillips, and she went missing in a school uniform and um, it cuts straight to Sylvia, glum, posh school girl in in her uniform, learning the piano under the watchful eye of Stephanie Cole, of all people. Um, And I always forget she was in this. When when I watched it again uh, for the first... I've watched it a couple of times, I'd say, in the last 12, 18 months, and the first time I had completely forgotten she was in it. It's such a small part, considering like a year later she'd be so dominant in Tenko. Yeah. So you think. And um, her, her, her character doesn't really move the plot along, does, does she, really? No, no, but she's really good. She's still really good. And it, it sort of sets up Sylvia's life, doesn't it? Because everybody in her life is horrible to her. Yeah, or yeah, either horrible or just not interested. Or just ambivalent, yeah. Um, so Sylvia's played by an actress called Yona, Lorna Yabsley, who didn't apparently act beyond 1981. Um, but I thought it was funny. I went on IMDb and she was in a, another TV movie the same year called The Mystery of the Disappearing Schoolgirls. Now, do you know what? Um, I Googled her the, um, when, when, when we said we were going to talk about this. I, I Googled her and, um, yeah, Darren thought maybe that was the American title for this, but it wasn't. It was something, it's completely separate, isn't it? It's its own thing. And Patsy Kensett is in it as well. It's probably worth watching, isn't it? Just for the time. Yeah. And David, and, David and her, I think I think Lorna Yabsley, I think it's a shame. I don't know, maybe she just thought this this is no life for me. But I think she's so good in, in the flypaper. She's really good. She's really good. And she's also strikingly good good looking as well as a young girl. And I think that's really funny because people refer to her as being like ugly or, or not standing out. So, you know, and she's actually really lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Stephanie Cole's got a bit of a crush on the other student, hasn't she? And so she just wants rid of poor Sylvia. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I when when the first start when this episode first started the first time I watched it, I thought the twist was going to be that the man wasn't the killer, but Sylvia was. Oh God, that's that's a, I'd never thought of that. That's that, that's not too bad, is it? 
Well, because oh, thanks for that damn by by faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't dislike it. <laughs> yes, yes, it's not your worst idea. Um, <laughs> or the one that send again, no names. The one that would send you blood cold when you'd pitch a story, and the person in charge would go, "Hmm, interesting." <laughs> yes, interesting. Let's just park it for now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be her because she's so miserable and so glum, and everyone hates her. I thought that she's bumping off all the other school girls, but. Now um, you say that it would have been that—that that is a great alternative ending. That we Sylvia, we we go home to Sylvia's bedroom, and you know there's clues in there. There's like yeah, you know, she, she keeps yeah. trophies or something. Um, but alas, that's not to be. So it's this guy. So she gets outside, and she's being watched by a, a, a man called Herbert, who's a bad man, and he's played by Alfred Burke, who was also in um, the Hammer film, The Nanny. He popped up in the Avengers and was even in a Harry Potter. And um, I, think he, I think he's possibly from Liverpool, you know. Oh, uh, not 100% okay. on that, but okay. Yeah. Um, and did you notice, like, that funny insert shot of him stood watching it that bears no relation to where she's standing? Yeah, yeah. He's, like, in the middle of a town. <laughs> she's somewhere rural. The producers um, must have known that this will do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, like lockdown measures so Sylvia's freaked out and walks through the way and she walks home through town and even then as she's walking through the little town you hear two schoolgirls bitching about her um, so it's sort of relentlessly bleak in that every aspect of Sylvia's life seems a bit shit so we cut, we cut between her being stalked and the search for the other missing schoolgirl so there's no question of what's going to happen here there's like an inevitability to it then we meet her grandmother and she's played by Peggy Thorpe Bates whose last TV credit was in The Young Ones and she is an old bitch, basically. And she's she's constantly putting her down. My granddaughter's always been such a victim, she says. And it turns out that so Sylvia's mum and dad were killed in a car crash. And she's had to live with her grandmother ever since. But, but her grandmother sees it as like a, a, a burden. But my granddaughter, well, she does seem to me to be always such a victim, you know. <laughs> the poor child's had a tough time, Mrs. Wilkinson. The death of her parents. Oh, but two years ago. Oh, it was a shock, I agree. But it, it wasn't as if she was there with them at the time of the crash. Thank God. They had parked her on me, you know, so that they could go to Greece. Well, she's very lucky to have had you. Oh. But uh, uh, after what she went through, it's not surprising that she feels scarred. That a son of mine could have fathered so unattractive a child. Mind you, my daughter-in-law was not quite a... Uh, well, as you know, Vicar, I never really approved of her. Thank you for the sherry. So uh, deliciously dry, as always. She's more interested in the, the, the vicar's coming for tea or something, isn't she? You would be, though, because he's quite dishy. Yeah, yeah. What I, th- what I think's funny about this is, so S- Sylvia's mum and dad were killed in a car crash, so that means that was either the grand's son or daughter, and she just doesn't seem asked, does she? I know, she's that, and so it's the son, so she says she says she's horrified that a son of mine could have fathered such an unattractive child. <laughs> and we get, we, get the, we get the impression she never really liked Sylvia's mother either. Um, but she says, so everything she does is putting Sylvia down, so even when she's talking about her son being killed in a car crash, she even says then, um, you know, they palmed her off onto me that night. <laughs> <laughs> I was stuck looking after her while they died. <laughs> <laughs> so she's really cold and removed. So that's so that's like a really grim snapshot of Sylvia's home life. She tries to tell Grandma, doesn't she, that she's being stalked? Yeah. And Grandma is basically saying, you know, oh, you know, don't talk to strangers, and um, she's, she's playing it down. She's not bothered. And then we see that the creepy man is actually stood outside the house watching through the window, which is really scary. 
Um, and then the next day he follows her home from school. So this is where, so she gets on the bus and he gets on with her and he's basically harassing her the whole time. And he's just relentless. And he even says to her, you know, I used to do that as a child, make myself invisible, hide from this nasty world. Goodbye, nasty world. You get the moment of him harassing her and then a shot of the bus driving down a country lane and there's no one around. So you get that remote, bleak feeling. Like yeah. she's- and I think it's foggy as well, isn't it? As well, it's- Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sylvia does all the right things. So when the conductor asks where she's getting off, she lies and says, so the man won't know where she lives. And then when he asks her her name, she gives a fake name. She says, Pamela Best. Pamela Best. But then he sees her name on her scarf. So he knows that she's Sylvia. Um, and he, he also knows that she takes music lessons, play piano, and then he starts that's, singing to her. I think that's really creepy. That because it's like if you know he's saying to her, "I am, I, you, I have been following you. You're right." He's just putting his cards on the table, isn't he? Yeah, and he's got this air of entitlement about him, hasn't he? So he can be re- really open about the fact that he's harassing her, yeah. he's stalking her, and nobody is doing anything. No, nobody's doing anything until. Until. So we get a flash of Vera, who's sitting up front in a red beret, and she's played by Pat Keane, who's got like a bit of a Patricia Rutledge vibe, I think. Yeah, yeah. So she's watching as he's harassing her. And then he even comes and sits next to Sylvia, and he says, I'm very fond of children, you know, but of course that's not allowed. And he, Ugh. God, I know. I'm very fond of children, you know, but of course that's not allowed. I'm good with children too. But that's suspect, naturally. I treat children on my own level. Sylvia. But we're not there yet, you know. It's one more stop to go. Bring the police. I can describe him. I know your sort. Tall. Sort of bald, like streaky bacon. He's totally invading the space. She's no idea what to do. She's got no power. Um, but then um, she decides. So we hear Sylvia's thoughts throughout, and, and she decides here she's got to get off the bus early, call the police, and describe him as tall and bald and looking a bit like streaky bacon. Um, then when she gets to the phone box, it's been vandalized. So we get like a little snapshot of, uh, you know, uh, broken early 80s Britain with mods rule written all over the place and the, the phone line cut. Yeah. So she's stuck. And then next thing he pops his head into the phone, bo- phone box and says, looking for 2P. But thank God, Sylvia is rescued by the woman off the bus, Vera. Um, and she appears brandishing her brolly. And uh, she shouts at Sylvia, hasn't anyone ever told you not to talk to strangers? And she's got to walk Sylvia back to her house where they'll phone the police. And the whole time, so... When you watch it back, you see, don't you, some of this woman's tactics. So here she's ascertaining from Sylvia that she's an orphan yeah. living with a grand. She knows that she's on her own. Um, yeah, and she's, get, get, she's getting all the intel from her, isn't she? She basically, yeah, yeah. So we get back to the woman's house. I think there's a brilliant heartbreaking moment when Sylvia and Vera are in the flat, are, are in the caravan. So she's helped... She's making them a cup of tea, isn't she? And she gets some biscuits out and gives them oh, to Sylvia. I've made a note of this as well. Go on. And Sylvia puts them on on the plate, and Vera says something like, "Haven't you arranged those biscuits, lovely?" And Sylvia smiles, and it's like that's probably the fir- that's probably the the first nice thing that anyone said to her in 
since her yeah. mum and dad died. It is yeah. the smile, the, the the pleasure she gets from that comment is just heartbreaking, isn't it's, it? It's, it's brilliant. I love the way they do it. It's so moving. And then um, we realise something isn't right. I mean, you sort of know, don't you? Because we're cynical now and hindsight's a great thing. But you sort of know the minute they get into that caravan, something's not right. Yeah. Um, and then she gets out a third cup. And you just know. Um, and then next thing, the door opens and who should come in but the creepy man. And Vera says, hello, Herbert. You're just in time. The tea's all ready. And then she says to Sylvia, do sit, child. Hello, Herbert. You're just in time. The tea's all ready. Oh, good. And then the stickiness prevents them from getting away. Oh, God. And that's and then you think, oh, oh, God, it's a big twist. What's going to happen? But that's actually the end. And it, it's horrible, isn't it? Now, now, the final moment is either it's flypaper, a real flypaper with some flies. Yeah. Uh, which they've got hanging up in the caravan. Or S- Sylvia tries to stand up and don't they both... They both put a hand on her shoulder and like just push her down really push her down. hard. It's just awful. And that's it. So and that's it. So tell that story about your friend at school again, just in case anyone didn't hear it. Last time. Uh, yeah, um, my, my friend Gareth um, told me that um, it had a big effect on everyone in in his school at the time. Everyone was talking about it um, on Monday when they all went back how horrible and how bleak it was. And then one of his schoolmates, this girl, went, um, oh, it'll be all right. Um, She'll be all right in the next episode. Somehow she'll be rescued. And when Gareth explained to her, (laughs) no, it was a one-off. There is no no next episode. That's it. He said she was utterly crestfallen. (laughs) There is is no rescue. There's no no relief to this. It's just a really bleak, horrible ending. So she's basically going to be... She's probably... They're probably going to sexually assault her and then kill her and throw her in the in the canal yeah yeah it's yeah <gasps> there we have it so yeah a real downer really but it's uh it's so good if you're a fan of horror and you're a fan of tv from the 80s as well and it's so concise it's such a good lesson i think in how to tell a story in, in such a quick economic way and yeah really i think effective. it's like roald dahl uh, you mentioned before what he says in his intro um, he doesn't say it's perfect but it is it's just a perfectly told story that yeah pulls the rug completely from under you at the end yeah totally so we heartily recommend it so much like this episode of uh, tales of the unexpected we're doing a short concise blast this this uh, this week so thanks for that steve it was fabulous Oh, no, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I can't wait for us to delve deeper into TV horror of the 70s and 80s. Also, if you're listening to this and you'd like us to cover anything specifically, please do get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter, at Johnny Larkin. Um, can you get in touch with you, Steve, or are you off things? Do you, do you, I'm only on Facebook. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so you'll, have to go th- you'll have to go through me. Um, but thanks, Steve. It was great. No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And remember, don't talk to strangers. No, absolutely not.